we don't even know the people yet you guys still cook and bring a side or a dessert for the funeral and uh, participate cook the meat and do different things and um, I just wanted to say thank you thank you I mean we wouldn't be able to do it unless you guys helped out and um, I don't know just thank you very much um, this funeral this Thursday at 10 o'clock uh, we will have a meal but I believe we have enough leftover meat. There's only going to be about 30 people, they said. So I think we have enough leftover meat that we froze. And I think we're just going to use that meat. And then if you can bring a side or dessert to help out with that on Thursday, that would be, that would be very helpful. But uh, anyway, that's Thursday at 10 o'clock. Acts chapter 1. I'm kind of trying to get into the book of Acts. And I feel like uh, the first couple, well, at least chapter 1 is kind of introductory and um, there's a lot here but I feel like you could preach on some of these things for quite a while and I don't really want to get bogged down into chapter one so tonight I just kind of want to sprint through chapter one and kind of just do an overview of it and uh, just kind of point out some things and then when we get into chapter two and um, and the rest of the book uh, there's some more specific and I think more not necessarily more applicable, but definitely easier things to be applied than what is in chapter one. But anyway, in chapter one, it says, the former treaty have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. If you're in Luke chapter, if you put a finger in Luke chapter 24, I know we did this last time as well, but just to uh, point it back out, Luke in chapter 24 in verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. In verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Luke, in his gospel, gives the account of Jesus from the moment that he's born through his earthly ministry and up until the point where he ascends into heaven. And so he's just reminding Theophilus, he's reminding the readers of that in the first couple of verses here in the book of Acts. So in verse 2, he's, uh, he says, until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments. So he gave some commandments to the disciples, to his 12, he gave some commandments. Also in verse three, it says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now here in verse three, we see not only did Jesus give them some commandments in verse two, but he also was showing himself to them. Um, there... There's a lot of debate and argument when it comes to what it means to be an apostle. Um, there are some people who want to take the, the word apostle and make it a very generic term. That it's just, you can be an apostle today, but it means you're just simply a representative of Christ. But an apostle was a very specific office. And I would argue that we do not have apostles today. There are certain denominations and certain people who want to say that I, I have seen it on the side of vans. I've seen, you know, such and such church, apostle so-and-so. 
Well, I'm sorry, but they're not an apostle. Um, one of the main, I believe, qualifications that you're going to see here in the book of Acts, especially chapter 1 and in verse 3 here, is that they saw the living, resurrected Christ. We're going to see that at the end of the chapter because they're going to pick a new apostle to take the place of Judas Iscariot. But one of the qualifications of an apostle was he saw or they were a witness to the resurrected Christ. And so I don't believe that we have actual apostles today. I also believe that the office of the apostle came with very, very specific authority. The apostles at the beginning of the church had an authority that nobody else had. And we don't have that today. We don't have that today. Paul, as an apostle, went into numerous churches where they had pastors and leadership, and Paul pretty much laid, laid it out and said, no, this is what you should be doing. Well, we don't have that today. There isn't anybody that's going to walk into this church and walk up to this pulpit and tell Platte Valley Baptist Church what they should or shouldn't be doing necessarily. Does that make sense? That, ap that ap apostolic authority is no longer. We don't have that today. But anyway, he, was, he, he, proved, he, uh, he showed himself alive unto them. And I, this, this, this word is really interesting to me. In verse 3 it says, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion. Now, I know Mel Gibson did his, uh, his movie, uh, what is it, The Passion of the Christ or whatever it was, and, um, and you hear of people doing passion plays. But this word passion is very interesting. We, we use the word passion. We say people are passionate. And if you, if you were to go home or get on your phone and Google where the word passion comes from, you're going to find that it comes from this Greek word, and it literally means to be influenced by an external or an outside force. Jesus was taken. You can go back to Matthew 26 and chapters 26 and 27 in Matthew, and you will find there that Jesus was taken there in the Garden of Eden. He was bound. He was taken to, in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, they brought false witnesses in, they accused him, and they, they found him guilty of blasphemy. Then in chapter 27, he's taken in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, and there he's put on trial. And there were external forces, both physically and spiritually, that attacked Christ. He went to that cross, and he was tormented. He was physically beaten and suffered. And that's what this word passion means. It means to suffer at the hands of an external force. And that was Christ's passion. You know, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That was his passion. That was the whole reason he came was to pay for your sins and for mine. Anyway, so he goes on in verse 3. Um, and he was seen of them for 40 days. So now, Jesus, after he resurrected, after he rose from the dead, he is with his disciples for 40 days. And there's a timeline here between you have uh, the Passover, which was a feast and a festival that the, Jew, that the Jews celebrated, which kind of coincided with the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted seven days. And it's going to bring you up to um, 
the Feast of the First Fruits, and finally Pentecost, which happens in chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down. And all of this, all of this just fits. And here he's seen of them for 40 days before he ascends, and he's speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And in verse 4 it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with power, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So here Jesus once again gives them that promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, he says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now, listen, the, the disciples have been preoccupied with the kingdom of God and it being set up and, and God doing that and ousting the Romans. They have been preoccupied with that the entire time Jesus has been on earth. Even the Jews who weren't disciples, who didn't believe, who didn't follow Jesus, were preoccupied with this. If you're the Messiah, then when are you going to get rid of these Romans who are, who are um, uh, you know, lording over us and, and taking advantage of us? And when are you going to you know, bring back our kingdom and we're going to you know, have Israel again? But that's not why Jesus came. And even here in verse 6, the, the disciples are still kind of bogged down with this idea. And Jesus tells them in verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. That's none of your business. That time has not come yet. So he tells them in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He says, listen, that's God's business, but listen, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes. And so once again, we see that, that promise of the Holy Ghost being sent down from the Father. Uh, you can go to John chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus made that promise to the disciples. You can go to John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. He mentions the Holy Ghost again. And then if you were to go over to John chapter 16, which might just be a few pages back for you, but starting in verse 7, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth is it is expedient for you that I go away. He says, I need to go away. Why? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Listen, the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, we need the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us what? And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. And I don't know about you, but that's a struggle. To be submitted to God's Spirit for His leading, for what He wants me to do, when and where and why and how or whatever, that is a struggle, day by day, moment by moment. But notice what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Listen, the Holy Spirit is working. And he wants to work. And one of his works is to reprove this world of its sin. Listen, I am all for unsaved people coming to church. 
But you know what? When somebody gets up behind this pulpit and preaches the word of God, I hope and pray that they're as uncomfortable as they can get. Because I want the Holy Spirit to reprove them of sin. I want the Holy Spirit to make it very obvious and very plain that they need Jesus, that they need forgiveness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It says in verse 9, of sin, because they believe not on me. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to the point where they will believe on Christ. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Verse 12, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Listen, when you read your Bible, you should pray and say, God, will you guide me? Will your spirit help make what I read plain and help me to understand it? For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever ye shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and will show it unto you. A little while, and ye will not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall, ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Listen, the Holy Spirit is, an ex- is a very important part of our Christian life. And we need to be sensitive to his leading and what he is prompting us to do in our lives. So here he tells them once again, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then in verse 9 he says, and when he had spoken these things while he beheld, uh, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood, stood by them in white apparel. And these two men, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, in verse 11, um, I, would, I would agree with most people. I, I would assume, I'm, I'm, a, I'm thinking that this is the second coming. Primarily because Jesus is standing on earth and he goes up into the clouds into heaven. When the rapture takes place, Jesus will not step back down on this earth. He will come in the clouds, but he will stay in the clouds. We will go to meet him. But when the second coming happens, which is in Revelation chapter 19, he comes back and he steps foot on this earth. And Jesus will set up a kingdom. That's kind of one other reason I think this might be this is the second coming, because they're concerned about him setting up the kingdom of God. And he says, no, 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 that time's not here yet. And then these guys tell him that he will come back in, in like manner. There will come a day when he will set up that earthly, he will set up that kingdom. And the enemies of God will perish. And you can find, you can find that, the second coming there in Revelation 19. But I also want to say this. Jesus will come in the clouds for his children. In, in 1 Thessalonians, take your Bibles, go over to 1 Thessalonians. I, I, I do want you to look at this. Um, and he gave this promise to his disciples there in John chapter 14, verse 3. He said, and if I go away, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. He did give them the promise. Listen, I'm going to go away, but listen, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
Look at verse 16. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Ladies and gentlemen, we should find comfort in the fact that Jesus, Jesus could come at any moment, that that trumpet could sound any second. And in the blink of an eye, we could be caught up in the air and be with the Lord. That should be a comforting thought to us. I fear, kind of like Thane preached this morning, I fear sometimes, though, that our lives are so easy and our lives are so smooth that we go through most days and we don't even consider the fact that Jesus could come. We get so bogged down and so busy and so caught up in our lives and our hobbies and our work and whatever we got have to do that we don't even stop throughout the day and think, Jesus could come back in the clouds right now. That trumpet could sound at any moment. And ladies and gentlemen, that is something we are commanded to look for. It should be in our thoughts. It should be something that we are concerned with throughout each and every day. The fact that Jesus could come back at any moment and that trumpet will sound and we will rise and we will be gone. We'll be caught up in the air. But I think all too often we're too busy. We're, we're too distracted in our minds and in our hearts and our priorities. And we don't even consider the fact that he could come back at any moment. Verse 12, he says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Here, the disciples obey. They go back to Jerusalem, just like Jesus told them to do. Now, if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus tells them, hey, Tonight you're going to be offended, and tonight you're going to deny me. And remember Peter? No, I won't. No, I won't. What did Peter do? He denied him. What did they do when they came to the garden? They bound Jesus, and they took him away. The Bible says, I think it's in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 56, they all fled. They all fled. They dispersed. But here in Acts chapter 1, they obey. They stay together and they go back to Jerusalem. In verse 13, it says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Here they obey. They go back to Jerusalem and do exactly what Jesus told them to do and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to be sent down to them. One more thing I want you to think about in, is in verses 15 through 26. Here you have, they, they find a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Notice verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. I think I'm going to do a sermon on Peter. You know, in Matthew 26, not, not too far back, I mean, just, you know, maybe 40 days earlier or so, Peter denied Christ. 
Six or seven weeks earlier, Peter has denied Christ. Remember the rooster crowed three times? Remember? Remember Peter, what did he say? He said, I go fishing. And Peter went fishing. And remember, Jesus comes along the shore and Jesus says, it's the Lord. Remember the conversation he had with Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter responded, yes, Lord, I like you. He asked him, I believe, three times. Third time he says, feed my sheep. Remember when Jesus, or when Peter denied Jesus there in, in uh, Matthew 20, 20, 20, uh, 6, it says he went out and wept bitterly. I can't even begin to imagine just how crushed Peter was. I can't even imagine. But you know what? Jesus reached out to Peter and restored Peter. And it's interesting to me that in the book of Acts, Peter takes the helm and he goes full bore after Christ. And he just goes forward serving and taking the, taking the lead and, and, and doing what Christ has for him to do. And here in chapter 1, he is the one who stands up in the midst of the disciples. There's about 120, the Bible says. Men and brethren, he says, This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. For this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. This is a graphic picture of what happened to Judas. If you go back to Matthew chapter 27, there you find Judas. Remember, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He comes back to the chief priest and he says, I've made a mistake. Take your money. And they say, we don't care about the money. We don't care about your guilt. We don't care how you feel. I told the teens this morning, this world does not care about you. Oh, they'll play your friend, and they'll lead you along. But I'm telling you, this world will stab you in the back, and they will leave you out high and dry with a, without a second thought. They have no care for the Christian. And that's how those chief priests treated Judas. Now, I don't believe he was a Christian, but they don't care about his guilt. They don't care how he feels. They don't care about the money. But they couldn't keep the money. So you know what they did? They went and bought a field a place for strangers, non-Jewish people to be buried. And that's what they're referring to here in, verse, in verses 18, 17, 18, and 19. Verse 19 says, And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in their proper tongue Aseldama, uh, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and no, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So here in verses 21 and 22, here's the, the credentials for the one that they're going to put in the place of Judas. He had to be with them as Jesus went out in and out among them and ministered. This person had to be with Jesus. As Jesus walked this earth and and did his earthly ministry. In verse 21, he also had to be a witness of the resurrection. So verse 22, beginning from the baptism, or verse 23, and they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So here they put Matthias in the place of Judas Iscariot to be that twelfth apostle of Jesus. And that's chapter one. That's chapter one. And in chapter two, you're going to have the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's going to come and things just start moving forward. God starts working. People start getting saved. Things are happening. And so we'll look at that more as, as we get into chapter two. But here in chapter one, I want you to start thinking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. Think about the importance of being sensitive to God's spirit as a Christian and his leading, his prompting, his stopping, his working in your life. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit when you read your Bible and you need God to help you understand and you need that that understanding of what you're reading. Ask him to help it make it clear. And we'll look more at, look a little bit more at that when we get into chapter 2 and the Holy Ghost comes. But anyway, that's chapter 1. So guys, let's, uh, let's do the Lord's Supper. So those guys that are a part of that, if you come forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul deals with an issue that was happening in the church at Corinth. They were pretty much using the Lord's Supper, this ordinance that we have, as an excuse to eat and be gluttons. And they were abusing it. So Paul dealt with that and confronted that. And uh, this is to be a very serious moment. I realize we do this every month, but this is to be a very serious moment. This is not a time that we are to take lightly. And I'm not necessarily saying that you do, but I do want to remind you of a few things that Paul told the church at Corinth. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. He says, but let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We have a responsibility to examine ourselves before we participate in this ordinance. I would encourage you that as the, as the men walk around and they pass out the juice and they pass out the bread, that you take a moment and examine yourself. Verse 29, he says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In verse 30, he says, For this cause many are weak 
and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So I would encourage you, examine yourself before you participate in this ordinance. And take a moment to pray and ask God to reveal things to you if there's something there. And take a moment to pray and thank God for the body that was broken for you and for me and to thank him for that blood that was shed for your sins and for mine. Mr. Todd, would you pray for the bread? Father God, I ask you to fill our hearts and our minds that we may be cleansed before you, Father. May we um, quietly reflect on what you put before us, Father, and uh, give us the wisdom to walk your road this week. Amen. Paul said, For I have not received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he also took the cup. 
After the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. chapter 26 and verse 30 says, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Could we sing a verse of uh, victory in Jesus? I think that's 812 if you have your hymnal, page 812. Is that right? Let's just, let's stand. We'll sing that first verse of victory in Jesus and we will be dismissed. Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Without his groaning of his precious blood's atoning, then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Thank you, you're dismissed.